kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long way. The Cardiac Kids, North Carolina State, has captured their second NCAA championship. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! The great games of history and the voices who made them come alive. This is Behind the Mic with Doug Rice. And on this weekend's edition of PRN's Behind the Mic, we are thrilled to have one of the most recognizable voices ever in the history of professional wrestling, Tony Schiavone. The heavyweight champion of the world, nature boy Ric Flair has joined us. Tony, we had talked a good bit about having you on, and then the last show we recorded was with your good friend Scott Howard, and he says, you're missing the boat if you don't get Tony Schiavone on the show. So thanks a lot for agreeing to come on. We appreciate you. Well, Doug, it's great being here. It really is. Uh, I know that uh, we've, uh, I've uh, been back and forth with your producer, uh, and I, I, I appreciate the time. Uh, Scott Howard is a good friend. We worked together for a long, long time. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I've got hair because I look at him and I'm thinking, man, he is bald and ugly, with a face for radio. So, um, it, it's great being with you. Great being on the Performance Racing Network. Hey, you know what? I do listen to you. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of John Boy and Billy's podcast. And I know you hop on there with John Boy and Billy at times, uh, covering the races. So there you go. I do. Those guys are remarkable. They've been, they've been at it about as long as you and I have been behind microphones and they're still getting paid. So I know they, they're syndicated and they're, uh, they're hilarious. So how, how long did you do Georgia? Cause I, I wasn't aware that you were a part of that until I talked to Scott, and then he kind of just sort of casually dropped your name. He did not share a lot of stories from the road. How long right. were you intricately tied to Georgia football? Uh, from 2003 to uh, 2020. So right up until just a couple of years ago. Where were you when they finally uh, beat Alabama? How did you experience the national championship that time around? I experienced it at home. <laughs> I uh, I was one year removed from that. I, yeah. I in 2020 was my last season and I, I had been doing wrestling for a couple of years and my boss, Tony Khan told me, he said, if you want to keep doing, uh, Georgia, go ahead and, and keep doing it. Well, I had to give up basketball for sure because basketball normally on college basketball is usually on a Wednesday and that's when we have our shows. So I gave that up first and then we started doing some weekend things and I started doing some autograph signings on the weekends and. I just told Scott, I said, I can't do it anymore. So I stepped down from that and they won the national championship. So I could have had a ring, but I didn't get it. So uh, I missed it, missed it by a year. Scott flashed his ring around, by the way, when we had, oh, him I'm, sh- I'm sure he does. He should be very <laughs> proud. And I, my middle son, Chris works with us. He's uh he's one of Scott's spotters. Scott has two spotters and uh, he's one of the spotters and Chris got a ring as well. So I'm, I'm proud of him. Hope he gets a second one as well. Well, it looks like they probably will. You could have been 
in football and studying you, you were James Madison graduate and right. had the opportunity right out of college to go and call football for JMU, but life took you another way. What happened there? Well, a couple of things happened. I, 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 like you said, I graduated from JMU in 1980 and they were looking for a football play-by-play guy to also do basketball color. Now I had done the women's basketball team at JMU while I was at school. Uh, for the radio station, the uh, campus radio station, WMRA, which was an FM station, is an FM station. And so I got out and applied for the job. And Rich Murray, who was at that time the sports information director, said, it's your job if you want it. And I remember thinking, my God, I have a chance to JMU play-by-play. Well, I also was working for WTON out of Stanton, Virginia. And that they gave me a full-time job right out of college. I knew when I was in college, because I had been working for them part-time, they had told me, as soon as you graduate, you have a full-time job here. What, was that an air shift? or That was an air shift, okay. right. That was the night shift. And they actually moved me, eventually moved me to the to the afternoon drive shift. Um, so I had a decision to make. Would I stay with WTON or take the JMU job? And Al Charles, who I, I really feel is, He's no longer with us, but he is the man who is most instrumental in my career. Al Charles told me he was a very tough guy. He said, you can either do the JMU job or you can work here full time. You got a choice to make. And I went, man, what am I going to do? And then I got a call from a radio station in Greensboro, North Carolina, that, and I always, baseball was my passion, what I wanted to do. And they, they called this, they said, we'd like to hire you to be the play-by-play guy for the Greensboro Hornets. We got your tape. We think it's great. And so the decision was pretty easy. I turned down the JMU job and went off to North Carolina to follow my dream uh, to be a Major League Baseball announcer. So that's that's how I turned down that job. And that's one of the big crossroads in your career, right? Because had I not gone into North Carolina, I, I wouldn't, have, wouldn't have met the Crockett family, wouldn't have gotten into wrestling, and who knows, I still could be doing uh, football play-by-play somewhere uh, on, the, on the college level, and, or who knows. And for folks that don't know, and, and I only know this because I grew up in Salisbury, North Carolina, and lived around this area all my life, the Crockett's were, in the day, some of the biggest sports promoters, I guess, in the state of North Carolina, because that predates the Panthers and the Hornets and yeah. soccer and all that. They had, what did they have, the Charlotte O's, and then, of course... Or the early days of professional wrestling. Yeah, the Charlotte O's professional wrestling. I think if you go back and look, uh, they promoted uh, music acts in in the Carolinas as well. We're talking way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they were big time promoters. Now, when I went to Greensboro, I didn't go to work for the the Crockett's. I went to work for a radio station WKEW, and uh, they called themselves Q. And I remember, I remember when I first called back, I, I got the message from a guy named Bob Morris. He said, we think you're the man for the job. So I turned around, I called him back, and this lady answered the phone, thanks for calling Q. <laughs> and I went, well, I ended up marrying that person who said, thanks for calling Q. And uh, that started my my life. So, and that person is somebody that I actually worked with at WASU right. on the campus radio station, Lois. Exactly, yeah, Lois uh, Lois Berger. Uh, Lois said, uh, 
She said, uh, yeah, you know, she said, Doug, uh, Doug was a freshman when I was a senior. And I went, man, you guys are old. <laughs> um, but, well, I'm, uh, gl I'm glad you've hung in there. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I, she was, she was uh, in the group. I, I rem it's funny how you remember snapshots. I right. walked in the room uh, where they had a sign said, be in this room 101 at 7 o'clock Wednesday night if you want to be on. And there must have been 100 people in there that wanted to be on the air. And right. she was one of the ones that got up and talked. And I thought, well, this is over before it started. I'll I'll never get an air shift. And fate <laughs> intervened. And here I am. Gee, uh, yeah. It was fun time. You know, because yeah. they let you. I've always said they let you make mistakes in college radio. Right. You know, the program director is not going to come in and can you because you, you, you drop the ball at a certain time. So you get sure. into the wrestling thing, and I've heard, I've heard you tell this story, uh, but uh, it's worth repeating. The first job they gave you was to go do an interview. Yeah, the first job they gave me was to do an interview with Ric Flair. And I had, been a, I had been a really big wrestling fan during my high school and college years. And, and I remember, and, and Doug, I, I really, I don't know if this is, I, I guess it's helped my career. I've never really been nervous at all to do anything, to be on camera. My first baseball game, I wasn't nervous. My first time on TBS, I wasn't nervous. But I remember getting the call that I was going to interview Ric Flair at his house about a new event called Starcade. I was nervous that night. I That really that really blew my mind. So I went to Ric Flair's house, did an interview with Ric uh, and, uh, about Starcade. And that was the first time I was on camera. And Rick and I kind of hit it off. Rick told the Crockett's, uh, Jimmy and David, that um, I, uh, uh, he said, that kid's pretty good. You may want to use him. And so they started using me to do their uh, local promos, which was the bread and butter of, of what they did back then. You would watch, a, you would watch one of their syndicated shows. Uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling or Worldwide Wrestling, and they would have two, two-and-a-half-minute spots in the middle that they bartered out with the TV stations, and we would run down wrestling coming to the Greensboro Coliseum or wrestling coming to the Charlotte Coliseum or in Roanoke, Virginia, and and that's how I started, and I, I would do those every Wednesday, and it, and that, that's how I kind of got started. I, I do need to say that between Green. Greensboro was not run by the Crockett family. Greensboro was run by WKW. And then a year later, the Crockett's, I applied for a job in AA for the Charlotte O's, and that was the team owned by the Crockett's. And that's how I, I got, into, uh, got into pro wrestling because they owned the baseball team and ran wrestling like you talked about. So after you interview him and you become a fixture there, how long before you were a, a regular part of the TV rotation and hosting the shows and doing the interviews and the introductions. It was 19, that was 83. That was end of 83. And the very next year in, in 1984, they used me on their syndicated shows uh, sporadically. Then in 1985, they, uh, Jimmy Crockett bought the, uh, the time slot for TBS 605 on Saturday nights from Vince McMahon. And he stuck me on at, uh, with David Crockett in April of 1985. And that's when I became the, uh, the regular guy. Because up until then, wasn't most of it. And you touched on it, individual syndication, let's go 
we'll work on we'll be on this station this time and this station because I think in Charlotte it was Channel Three on Saturday nights. Right. Yeah. That's that's the way it was. And when I grew up, I grew up in the Mid Atlantic area. I grew up in Virginia. We had uh, Channel Seven WDBJ, I believe, uh, and also the Lynchburg station Channel Thirteen and the Richmond station WTVR TV Six. I think they all carried pro wrestling and and that's how that's how the word got out locally you would watch the wrestling show and the on wtvr tv6 and and then you would see uh coming up at the richmond coliseum it's mid-atlantic championship wrestling the nature boy rick flair and wahoo mcdaniel in a strap match things like that and that's how but then we moved on to tbs and we became a national promotion after that once we were on tbs I know I used to work for before he retired for a guy that I considered one of the greatest promoters ever in Humpy Wheeler. And Humpy would often mm. cite wrestling as the way promotion should be done. And I, he right. probably borrowed some things out of out of the promoter's handbook from wrestling as far as promoting racing. What in your mind, Tony, what are what were some of the keys to to get people out? Because I mean, it it, it just continues to blossom. Well, I think the keys were that we were back then. It's changed so much, Doug. What we what we do now is completely different than what we used to do. What we used to do back in the '80s and even through the '90s, the wrestling was an arena show, and the TV show that you watched was an infomercial to get you to go to the arenas. We would have, for instance, when I was growing up, the biggest angle was. This is 70s stuff here. Okay. Ric Flair and Blackjack Mulligan were a great tag team. Great, bad, heel tag team. Then they had the big split. and But you would never see Ric Flair or Blackjack Mulligan touch on TV. You had to go to the arena and see it. And so it was the want to see these two finally collide that made you want to buy a ticket. And that's what the whole show was based on, wanting to get you to buy a ticket. It's changed today. Now the the idea is to get you to watch a TV show for ratings. It's completely changed. So that was the mindset back then. I, I think I hope I answered the. No, what you, you did. Were you did. For. Uh, yeah. Kind of skipping around here a little bit. You sure go you ahead. were you were there for how long before you took a hiatus away from wrestling? I was there till two thousand one. I had. I had worked for the Crockett's, uh, I, I left baseball. My last year in baseball was 85 and, uh, my last baseball season was 85 and I started working full-time for the Crockett's and then the Crockett's, uh, in 1988 sold their promotion to TBS Turner broadcasting. And I, um, I didn't want to go to work for Turner broadcasting. I just, I don't know. I didn't like it. Uh, and I got a job with the WWE at that time with Vince McMahon. So I packed up all the kids and Lois. We had five young kids at that time. Uh, and we, we went from Charlotte where we lived to Connecticut, rented a house and lived there for a year. Great job experience. Uh, some of the things I learned, uh, with them, I, I still uh, use today. Just great job experience. So I, uh, but it only lasted a year because. Well, we didn't really like living in the Northeast. We uh, were Southern people. Lois, uh, an army brat, lived in the South most of her life. 
and she just wanted to come back to be closer to her family and, and my family. And it was, it was not a good uh, experience living wise. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. And TBS came calling back in 1990 with an offer of a contract and more money, a lot more money. And I took it. And a year later, packed up the five kids and Lois, <laughs> headed back to uh, the South, moved to Atlanta area. And we've been in this house now for 32 years. And so, three years. Yeah. 2001. You get away from wrestling and you wind yeah. up, what, doing AAA baseball for the Gwinnett Braves? And is that when you got hooked up doing uh, Georgia sports also? Yeah, it it, it started actually, uh, oddly enough, we closed our doors in 2001. Uh, WCW did, was purchased by Vince McMahon, oddly enough. Uh, and uh, apparently Vince McMahon didn't want me. And that was fine with me because I was burned out from wrestling. And the same day that we closed our doors, I had an interview with, with uh, WSB radio, big time station here in the Atlanta market. I'm sure you're familiar with WSB and, um, Captain Herb. Yep. Captain Herb Emery, uh, rest in peace. They hired me a uh, part-time that day. And so I worked part-time for WSB until 2003. And I also had a, a very large severance package with Turner broadcasting that helped me out. In, two, in, in January 2003, WSB hired me full-time, and that's when I started working with the Georgia Bulldogs broadcast as well in 03. And I also started working for the Atlanta Braves radio network because that uh, WSB had the Braves and the Georgia Bulldogs. So I started doing baseball uh, pregame and postgame show uh, with the Atlanta Braves and a postgame talk show and – and also started working with the Georgia Bulldogs. I started out as the guy who would run the scores for Larry Munson. I, I would sit in the back and, uh, you know, uh, check the internet or, or check. I had a little, we had a little TV back there, obviously. And I checked the scores and I would give them to Larry and Larry would read the scores. And that's how I started with them. I, I also, because of my baseball background, I, I became, God, I've done a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome though. Uh, I became uh, one of the official scores for the Atlanta Braves. I, be I became like the fill-in official score. They had two official scores. Uh, uh, Mike Stamos, who's with Georgia Tech, uh, Mark Fredrickson, they were the official scores. And when they couldn't do it, they would bring me in to be the official score for the Atlanta Braves. Did you ever get challenged? Did somebody come after you after a game and go, that, that was not E6. It was clearly oh a God. single. Oh, my God. One time, I never will forget this. It was an afternoon game. Graham Lloyd is pitching. Uh, Paul Bacco is the catcher uh, for the Braves, and he bunts a ball towards the mound. Uh, Paul Bacco is running in mud. He uh, Graham Lloyd picks up the ball and drops it, picks up the ball and drops it, throws it to first, gets him by a half step, or he's safe by a half step, and I go E1, error on the pitcher. Immediately, there's a phone call to the press box. <laughs> Uh, and Jim Schultz, who was the PR guy for the Braves at that time says, uh, it's the dugout for you. Well, no, normally the dug in th uh, this day and age, the dugout cannot call the official score, but they let him call. So I pick it up and it's Merv Rettman, longtime baseball players, the hitting coach for the Braves. And I went, hello. He went, Schultzy. Thinking it's still Jim Schultz. I said, no, Shivani. He said, who? I said, Giovanni, he said, never mind. He said, just tell the official score to get his head out of his ass. <laughs> he hangs up the phone. Uh, so that, that, 
I think that was my first game. I'm not sure. And Skip Carey, who was terrible with official scores, he used to brutalize them on the air all the time, came over, put his hands on my shoulder. He said, young man, I'm really not that young, wasn't that young, is young man, don't let him bother you. That was a great call. Uh, so Skip and I kind of bonded with that. And so I did the official scoring. And then I heard that the Richmond Braves were going to pull up stakes in Richmond and come to the Atlanta area and become the Gwinnett Braves. And I knew the general manager, Bruce Baldwin, of the Richmond Braves because he was the general manager of the Greenville Braves when I was in Charlotte. So I called Bruce, and I'll never forget. It was an afternoon game with the Braves. I call him on the cell phone as I'm going home. I said, Bruce, is it true you guys are coming to Gwinnett? And he said, yep. I said, I got a great idea for you. Let me become your official score because I've been doing it with the Atlanta Braves. He said, I got a better idea. Why don't you become my radio guy? And I went, yeah, I can do that, I think. So he said, I got this station out of uh, uh, Gainesville, uh, WDUN, that's going to carry our games. Well, oddly enough, I had been doing part-time work with the uh, with WDUN doing, uh, doing football, high school football and basketball. So I said, yeah. I said, I can work that out. So we all had a meeting. I was hired in 2009 to do the Gwinnett Braves. Larry Munson retired, as you know. Uh, and Scott wanted me to be his, when he moved in full-time, he wanted me to be his spotter. So I moved down front from doing scores to spotting for Scott Howard. And then by 2012, the engineer, Charles Young, said he had enough, the engineer producer. Uh, and I had also been doing the engineering for Georgia basketball because the engineer left there as well. And, um, uh, they hired me to do be the producer engineer for Georgia football in 2012. And I did that all the way up until we, time we talked. So in the, in the 18 years, I, I was out of wrestling for 18 years. In the 18 years, I was pretty darn busy. I had, I had a lot, lot going on. WSB, Georgia Bulldogs, uh, Atlanta Braves radio network. Then the, the Atlanta Braves went to another station and we lost that. Uh, and then the, the Gwinnett Braves, they're now the Gwinnett Stripers. And I did a lot. A lot. Didn't you also, and it pops up, it's amazing how much this pops up. Yeah. Uh, you, you learned how to uh, be a barista at Starbucks? Yes. Yeah, because and it was uh, 20, uh, the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016, it was probably the toughest year professionally of my life. And WSB decided that they were not going to renew my contract after being with them since 2003. So, uh, and I, this was no severance pay, boom, you're out the door. And, uh, so I was looking for, uh, benefits, uh, and I knew the Starbucks had benefits, the Starbucks right up the road. I went up there, got hired as a barista, was a barista for 18 months, I guess, uh, learned how to make coffee and frappuccinos and how to smooth old women in the morning with their <laughs> coffee. Hello, my dear. It's so good to see you <laughs> once again. I hope you enjoy this cup of coffee. Um, and I was really good. I was really good on the drive-thru. And I, I was a good drive-thru guy. What, what's the most requested drink outside of just the, the regular coffee? What are what are people into or were into? Lattes and cappuccinos. Yeah. By far. The kids are really big into frappuccinos. Uh, and I was not good at making frappuccinos, but there's some girls that were really good at it. You know, what was one of the great things about Starbucks? I say this all the time. I worked 
I was like the only guy later on. Another guy came aboard, but it was, it was all women. And it was mostly like young girls, 23 year old girls, 24 year old girls who love to gossip about each other. And just listening to them talk was just, it, it was, a, it was an enjoyable, enjoyable experience. It really was. And it, it, it also changed my perspective. Lois will tell you this before then, when we would go to a restaurant or something or somewhere, I was, I was an okay tipper, but after working at Starbucks and seeing how those kids really depend on tips, really do depend on tips too. One girl one time, which she got $30 in tips for the week. She said, Whoa, that's a tank of gas. So now I'm an over tipper. I really try to take care of the people who serve and it all because of my, my 18 months at Starbucks working with them and seeing how much, uh, it, how important it is to the people who serve. Because their base pay is, is almost nothing. That's right. Yeah. It's, right. it's practically non-existent. Right. When you're out and about, you go to Starbucks or Walgreens or wherever. Yeah. How, how often you get stopped? How often people come up first ask if you are Tony Schiavone and then, then, then how does it proceed after that? Yeah. Um, well, they, I, I, it happens a lot. It really does. Even here in East Cobb, just, uh, maybe two weeks ago, a guy came to me and, and he stared at me and just kept on walking and I'm thinking, well, you know, you can usually tell, I mean, yeah. and then he came back with a picture of me on his phone. He said, you look like this guy. And I went, really? And I looked at, it, he said, yeah. He said, you know, who this is, I said, yeah, that's that wrestling announcer. He said, that's you, isn't it? I went, yeah, it's me. And so we started talking, uh, the greeter at Walmart, uh, he, he recognized, he said, Hey, uh, I need some t-shirts and some hats. You got some? I said, sure. So I got him a couple of AEW t-shirts and hats and, but it, it happens a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty active in our, our Catholic church here and I get recognized there all the time. And, um, it, it happens everywhere. How do you yeah. react when people say I've watched you all my life? I tell them, I ask them their name and I call them by their name. Cause that's important. It I shake is. their hand. I shake their hand. I tell them how much I appreciate that. And some of them will say, you know, I know you've heard this so many times and I, I, I pardon me for saying, that. I said, no, listen, I get it. I understand. And I appreciate you saying that it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my career. So I'm very, uh, I'm very appreciative and I'm very, uh, I like to think I'm very nice to them. I, I think, uh, in this world, you need to treat people nicely because there's a lot of bad going on. People treating each other badly. So I know on your podcast, you're introduced I think I'm most of the time as the voice of your childhood. Yeah, right. So you've listened to that podcast? Well, I I, I said yeah, a, I did a deep dive here, okay. and uh, but and I just thought well, that's a great way to be thought of. Yeah, right. I that that podcast uh, that podcast brought me back to wrestling, and we uh, it's uh, me and Conrad Thompson basically watching old wrestling. And, uh, some of the wrestling that I did and just talking about what we're watching, you can watch along with us if you want. And, uh, the, the language gets kind of colorful there at times. My sister, who is 16 years older than me, uh, she says, I want to listen to your podcast. Uh, absolutely not. Do not listen to that podcast because, uh, my, <laughs> we say some things that uh, would make me embarrassed to have my sister here. If my mom were still alive. No, absolutely not. Okay. But that's that. Yeah, that's the, 
That's the kind of language I think some of the guys who listen to our podcast enjoy. But t- so. tell folks where they can listen, what the name of the podcast is, and you know, it's on yeah. most of the popular platforms. Yeah, it's called What Happened When, WHW. It's uh, We have a Patreon channel, w- patreon.com slash WHW Monday. It's available on Westwood One Cumulus. It drops every Wednesday. Uh, if you are a subscriber to the Patreon channel, it drops on Mondays for you. We have a, a YouTube version as well. So that that's what we have. And uh, we've been doing it since, uh, since January of 2017. I can't believe that we've been doing it this long. But it's been very good. It's been very profitable for us. It's one of two podcasts I do. I do uh, the AEW podcast called Unrestricted with referee Aubrey Edwards. And we do that. And uh, that's uh, basically interviewing wrestlers uh, and people behind the scenes doing interviews with them. So those are the two things I do. But th- what happened when has been a, a fixture for me for, yeah, since 2017. It's very entertaining. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, good. It yeah. is, it's very entertaining. Well, and we it, make and it yes, entertaining. It, is, it is a little salty, but you can yeah, do that on podcasts now. Yes, you can. And you know what? When I, when I was hired by AEW and Tony Khan, I told Tony, I said, listen, uh, I want to talk to you about my podcast because I do not want to say anything on this podcast to embarrass his company. Uh, and he said, oh, no, I listen to your podcast. It's I love it. Uh, Tony's a big wrestling fan. So we put in my contract that I can do this podcast. And, yes, the the language at times gets a little uh, a little salty. And if, the, if there's a problem, Tony and I can hammer it out. And it was just like a couple of weeks ago, Tony said, hey, I listened to the podcast. And I heard you say, I'm not going to repeat it here, I heard you say blank. And I went, yeah, and he laughed. And I went to him afterwards. I said, uh, did that upset you? I said, he said, no, no, I thought it was funny. I said, okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> oh, it's good to check with the boss. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, you've written a graphic novel. Yep. Butts and seats. Exactly. Here, here again, that speaks to my, my former boss, Humpy Wheeler, because that's he was obsessed with that. Where yeah. did the title come from? And give us a little backstory on it. Lois said okay. I should ask you for an autographed copy, by the way. Yeah, I, I can give you an autographed copy for $75. <laughs> yeah, That'd be great. I <laughs> figured there was a, a Patreon <laughs> fee or something in there. <laughs> uh, have you talked to Lois on the phone? No, I have not. Good. You, you, that's six hours of your life you'll never get back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I... Um, Butts and Seats was a, a famous quote uh, that I made uh, back in 1999, maybe. I can't remember the, the year 2000, uh, when uh, the WWE, we, the, the Monday Night Wrestling Wars, if you know anything about it, were pretty, pretty uh, intense between uh, uh, them and WCW. And they had Mick Foley as their champ, or Mick Foley won the title. And they won it on a pre-taped show, so we knew it. And we were live, and Eric Bischoff, my boss, had came had his little stooge girl come out and say, "Mick Foley is winning their title tonight. We want you to really talk badly about it." And I went, "Seriously, you want me to mention their show?" Which Eric was the who was my boss had done this a little bit prior to had done the commentary prior to me. And he, she said, yes. And I said, okay. So I just thought of something to say. And I said, well, Mick Foley on the other channel just became the WWF champion. That'll put butts in seats. 
And that became, uh, with wrestling fans, uh, kind of my tagline. That and Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell, my two <laughs> taglines. So the people who uh, put the uh, comic book together, the graphic novel said, let's use butts and seats as the title. And I said, you know what? I said, that has probably a negative connotation because that to, that was one of the things, one of the things that started the decline of, of WCW. And they said, no, we think it's great because it means, like you said, you were talking about a humpy wheeler, Doug. It means you as a wrestling announcer were in charge of putting or help to put butts in the seats. And I went, okay, why not? So that's how it came about. But it all came about because of that comment that I made years ago. And th this this was not just a, a simple, having kind of grazed through it a little bit and reading reviews, this was a big work. This was a, a pretty yeah. big effort, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was done during the pandemic. It was all done on Zoom. Me, uh, a guy named Dave Silva who works with us, a couple of people uh, for uh, for the uh, that produced and published the uh, the comic book, and my lawyer Mike Dawkins were all together, and we did a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of three and four hour Zoom calls late at night, and that's how it was done. I believe they used twenty six different artists, mm. which I think is great because that gave the, some artists some work during the pandemic. Uh, every chapter is with a different artist, and every uh, little. I don't know what they call it, a cover between the chapters with a different artist as well. So it was uh, it was a pretty good effort. It really was. All right. Uh, I picked up on this, and I can also tell by the camera shot that you have, there's there's a, a lot of memorabilia there, and a lot of it seems to be DC. Are you a yeah. DC person versus Marvel? Do you embrace all sci-fi, or am I overreaching I, I, there? No, I embrace it all. Uh, back here, right there, is... Uh, the uh, members of the uh, Justice League. Uh, this is a Lewis Rules sign right here behind the Peloton. These are all Batman things uh, and a DC thing. This is called the Batcave. It's the it's a room over the garage where I do the podcasting. Uh, so this is kind of where I, I do everything. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a big Batman fan. I always have been. And Bugs got his throne back here. He's always with me. Um, and uh, so this is where I do everything. You have a favorite uh, Batman actor? Yeah, my, mine's Christian Bale. I know everybody is everybody really, uh, you know, with the new Flash movie coming out, everybody's really uh, high on Michael Keaton returning as Batman, and I love that Batman. Uh, but I always like Christian Bale, and I like the, uh, I like that, the trilogy. I thought those three movies were great. That was my favorite. But you know what? I own every uh, on Apple TV. I own every episode of the Batman TV show back from the sixties. So I really, I'm going through that. There's 125 episodes in about three seasons. And I'm going through that. And of course, that was, that started, I think, in 66. And I mean, I was in elementary school back then. And uh, that's where I really started my Batman uh, love well, back then. When the original Batman came out with Adam West, they changed right. the night that the Boy Scouts met in my troop because nobody was coming to Boy Scouts. They were all staying at home to watch Batman. It was a phenomenon, wasn't it? Yes. It really was. It was a national phenomenon, and it, to the point to where actors uh, wanted to be a part of it. And it was, and you go back and you watch, and boy, it's campy, and some of it's real. Well, it's all really silly. But back in the 60s, it was a big deal. Did you, uh, you you're doing the dive. Is there a, a favorite villain for you? 
Sorry, I know we're oh, getting off topic here, but yeah, no, you know what? Uh, everybody, I, I always love the Joker because I love Cesar Romero's laugh. But uh, there was a a villain called the Mad Hatter who had this top hat, and the top of the top hat popped up with these eyeballs that would hypnotize you. And I can't remember the actor's name, but he just he was way over the top with it. And I always loved the Mad Hatter. My first celebrity crush was Cat Catwoman. Really? Yeah. 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 Stop. Julie, Julie Newmar. Yeah. yeah. Stop me in my tracks, man. Yeah. Uh, now, different league. You've been uh, there for, what, four years with All Elite Wrestling. Tell us a little bit about that. All Elite Wrestling uh, was as a uh, company that's owned by uh, Tony Khan. Uh, his father is Shad Khan, who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Tony has uh, always been an instrumental part of his of of everything that his dad does. He works for the Jags. He has a, uh, he runs the Fulham football club in England. He also has a, uh, analytics company called uh, true sports media. And he's a big wrestling fan. And he decided that, uh, he got with the people in Turner and, uh, they agreed to let him uh, air his brand new, uh, wrestling league, all elite wrestling, which started, uh, the first event was actually an event in, um, oddly enough, event in uh, Las Vegas, and I was not a part of it. But we had uh, Conrad had uh, a uh, a convention, a, a wrestling fan convention, in Las Vegas at the same time. And Conrad said, "Let's go to the let's go to the wrestling show." And I said, "You know what? I don't want to go." He said, "Come on, let's go." So we went, uh, and uh, it was there's a story behind that too. And I sat front row ringside for the first AEW event. And then, uh, and, and then uh, the summer of 2019, uh, I got Tony Khan got in touch with me, and uh, we talked, and he hired me, and it completely changed my life. And I've been working for AEW uh, ever since then. I'm uh, I've been there since uh, the summer of 2019, so it'll be four years this summer uh, as one of the announcers on Dynamite. Uh, their Wednesday night show, one of the announcers on Rampage, their Friday night show, that's 8 o'clock on TBS, two hours on Wednesday night, and then one hour on TNT at 10 o'clock normally. It moves around because of NBA, but 10 o'clock on, uh, on TNT on Friday night. So that's what I've been doing. And I work behind the scenes in talent relations as well, which is a challenge, uh, and uh, work a little bit uh, as, as a senior producer. So I, I stay pretty darn busy, actually, Doug. I, I, I'm, it uh, sounds like it. Yeah, I'm in a different city every Wednesday night. We were in Milwaukee last week. We're in Pittsburgh this coming Tuesday as we're broadcasting uh, here today, you and I. Uh, and we've got uh, Las Vegas coming up, Baltimore. We're going to go to London in August for our trip, first trip there. We've been in Toronto. we got Saskatoon coming up, uh, some trips to Canada, Edmonton, uh, Calgary. I mean, it's all over the place where we're going. Uh, got a couple of guys working behind the glass today, David Stiles and Kent Bernhardt, and they sent me a couple of questions, and we talked about sure. this ahead of time. I did want to know, what's the most uh, out-of-the-way place you've ever gone and done a wrestling match? Because I know back in the day, there were a lot of little crossroads. Yeah, we went. Uh, we went. We did a show in Vancouver uh, when I was with WCW, and then we ended up going to a place called Kamloops, uh, which is out in the middle of nowhere in British Columbia. 
that's probably the most out of place. Out of, but I, we're getting ready to go to Saskatoon and Regina up in Canada after we go to Edmonton. So uh, I'm not familiar with those towns, uh, but I, I, I fully expect, I fully expect before it's all over with, we're going to shoot up to Alaska somewhere. Why not do Nome? Why not do the Northern Territories? Uh, so Spread the see. love. Get it out there. Yeah. I've um, been in I've I've been in all I've been in every state except Alaska and believe it or not Vermont we've never worked Vermont. Not missing a lot. I didn't say that. You've been up in New Hampshire. I, I, right? I, I, I go to New there. Hampshire to do that right. race and we've skipped over in Vermont on an ill-advised right. trip to the Ben and Jerry's homestead. Yes. Okay. I got you. And it's just an ice cream place out in the middle of a cow field. It's nothing. Yeah. Like. Did you know I had a I had a chance to and it's. It's probably not party notes. I had a chance to do racing at one time. Did you know that? No, I, I did not. Okay. So uh, Eli Gold's a good friend of yeah. mine. And Eli was doing the Birmingham team when I was doing the Charlotte team back in the 80s. So Eli called me one time. He said, listen, the, uh, uh, they're looking for an announcer. And he said, so uh, why don't you call this guy? I think he's John McMullen. Yep. John used to be name. the GM at MRN. At MRN. And so I said, okay. So I went to Daytona and met with John McMullen. John McMullen in the infield in Daytona. And he said, okay, let's he, he listened to my tape. He said, we'll work out something when we're in Atlanta. So he had me go, first of all, to Myrtle beach with a bunch of other announcers to try out. And then he had me go to the, uh, I may have been the Arca race with the, what was it called? Arca at that yep, time. Yep. Would have been this. And he had me stand up on a platform and like the, the third turn and the wind was blowing. It was cold, had these tight headsets on. And we were doing the broadcast and it was just kind of a test. And I remember John saying, John said, you know what? He said, you're, you, you, you're a good announcer. You got a good voice. He said, I just think you need some work as far as learning this. And he never did call me back. And I remember thinking, man, I'd rather be in a warm arena than standing on the, a platform in the third turn <laughs> with a wind howling. I'm thinking these guys, do they still do that? Do they still? Oh yeah. We this? still, we just did, oh. um, we did the race at Circuit of the Americas down in Austin and had six people out on platforms, scissor right. lifts, scaffolds, every place. Yeah. Fortunately, so, but, it wasn't cold. Though, so. wait, are, are you in one of the platforms? Are you in the booth? Oh, no, the booth? no, no. I, <laughs> I'm inside. You know, there you that go. That comes, comes with seniority. You get to, you get to work yeah, inside. Damn right, pull rank. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I'm not going yeah. out there. It's wet. Yeah. It's cold. So, so, so yeah, I, I, I grew up a, a race fan. I'm, I'm really not a race fan anymore. Uh, it's not a part of my life, but I, I was a big Richard Petty fan. And we used to go from Virginia to Martinsville to Charlotte uh, to see races. Went to Darlington one time. Uh, Lois and I went to Talladega. So uh, we were big race fans at one time, but I've kind of lost uh, – the love for it well i i can understand that i hear that a lot i think one of the coolest things in my journey in this is getting to become friends with the petty family i used to be yeah. just the fan and then you get beyond that and you know that in working with these uh, a couple other things before we wrap up uh who do people want to hear stories about when they meet you rick flair normally yep uh and i do have a lot of rick flair stories there's one in the book there uh he is there's no way to explain Ric Flair with the exception of saying that the Ric Flair that you saw on TBS that I held the microphone for is the real Ric Flair. He was, his persona on TV was how he was in real life. And, um, I feel 
I, I, when I look back on my career, I feel very fortunate that I'm tied to him in some way. I mean, here I was just a, I mean, I'm, I'm from really backwater, backwoods, mountain country, small town, 900 people, Craigsville, Virginia. And I'm known to be the guy to interview Ric Flair. And that means a lot that I think about that. That's, that's pretty cool. When you think about that, I never really interviewed Ric Flair. They said, you're the guy who interviewed Ric Flair. No, I held the microphone for Ric Flair. <laughs> I didn't ask him questions. I said, here's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Boom. And that was it. You know, you, you didn't do interviews. You just held the microphone. So, uh, I feel very fortunate, but Ric Flair, I have a lot of stories about, I have he, a lot of stories. About, I have a lot of stories about Lois Shivani. I mean, yeah, I just, I just, I just really do. So, but, uh, and I have a lot of baseball stories too. I just, uh, we could tell a lot of stories. Best baseball and player that you had a chance to call games with? Freddie Freeman. Watching uh, him come along? Yeah, 2010, he was with the Gwinnett Braves. And there were there were actually days in AAA where Freddie, uh, Freddie could try not to get a hit and still get a hit. He was so hot. He was so incredible and such a good guy. So uh, Freddie Freeman. I got to call some of uh, Acuna's games before he uh, – he was there in the big leagues. Ozzy Albies was with us as well. Uh, but um, Freddie Freeman was the best player. They're going to be good again this year, I think. Yeah, they're pl- right. We're broadcasting. They're uh, they're they're playing well. And of course, I our manager for three years was Brian Snitker, and so that's a friendship that I developed and kept uh, until this day. I I I'll hit him up for tickets now and then. But that's what friends are for. Well, That's if you ever right. want to come to a race, let us know. You and Lois, yeah. show up. We'll take good care of you. I, I'll, I'll do I'm serious, that. I, you know. Yeah, you know, I'm serious too. I, I'd love to. I'd love to come to a race. You know, b- back then, to me, Charlotte Motor Speedway was the best, man. Well, I loved. I loved Charlotte. We're, we come down Atlanta Motor Speedway is one of our tracks. Can't, it's not that far. I don't think from where you are. So no, it's you're not. in East no, Cobb. So we'll get you over yeah. there. Well, Tony, no, it, this has it, been really great. I've enjoyed thanks, Doug. Uh, watching and listening to your career as it's moved along, and it sounds like you're in another great phase and having a wonderful time with All Elite Wrestling. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I I listen to you on the John Boy and Billy podcast, and uh, so I'm very familiar with you. And, of course, uh, you know I know that uh, you're one of the greats from App State, uh, like Lois uh, Berger was, and uh, – you know, App State produced a lot of uh, a lot of broadcasters. They really did. Well, then that picture you showed earlier, James K. Flynn, very well known yeah. broadcaster, was on WBT, the Clear Channel station here in Charlotte, right. and right. and a host of other folks have come out of there. And we just entertained three young people. I started to say kids from their broadcasting department when we were in Bristol. So they're they're still yeah. pumping them out up there. So well, Tony, yeah, great. Congratulations on your career, and how about this internet? I think it's going to catch on, isn't it? You know, one day. I, 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 let's let's end on that. Yeah, the whole transition of how we get the word out. You've been yeah. a part of that. I mean, you were working at at an AM radio station in Greensboro, right? And now we're doing stuff called podcasting and zooming yes. and and everything right. else. And I don't th- I don't see where it stops. No, it's it's going to only get bigger and bigger. It's going to be. Uh, it, it's going to be better, and it's we're going to be able to do uh, our streaming. It's going to be I don't know if it can be better than it is now, but I mean, thanks to the internet, I got kind of got back into wrestling, and uh, thanks to the internet, you know, my podcast has been very successful, both uh, uh, eyes on it and financially. And uh, like I told Conrad, I said, yeah, I think this internet's going to be okay. It's going to stick around for a while. 
Tony, right. thank you for your time, man. We really appreciate this. I and uh, good luck Thanks. in Saskatoon whenever you get up there. Thank you. I'm going to enjoy it. I really am.